The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. This is the Afternoon News on 630 Chad, Edmonton's breaking news and conversation station. So, you guys still want to be talking about parking, parking tickets, and this new program that the city is uh, testing out. Yeah, so the Edmonton uh, Edmonton City plans to unveil a license plate camera operation to catch drivers. So here's how it'll work. There'll be cameras on five roving vehicles, and cameras will be installed in city parkades to capture license plate information and then check it against an interface that determines whether the driver has or has not paid <coughs> for me. that spot. Mm. So as many of you know who've parked in city spots, right now drivers must input their license plate information and pay for... Uh, they're parking at an e-park machine, and anyone who doesn't is currently uh, ticketed by workers on foot. So this would replace the workers on foot. Rob's on the phone. Hey, Rob, you work in the parking business? Yeah, sure, I do, Jared. Yeah. Hi, Andrew. How you doing? I, yeah, I work in the industry that's kind of deep. In, I heard this conversation because of the things that I face every day. It's not as clear-cut on each side of the coin, if you will. You know, people think... I'm one, for example, that believes that sometimes speeding limits and, and uh, photo radar is unfair. It's just a cash cow to raise money for the city. And so, of course, that's going to be a crossover to the parking industry where people feel that this is just another way for the city of Edmonton to generate revenues. But there's another side of the coin I'd like to throw into the conversation. Sure, please yeah. do. Yeah, the, the idea that, that enforcement is designed so that parking lots are available to people as they need them. They pay for them as they need their use. And if there was no enforcement, there'd be probably about 25% of people, now don't quote me on my stats, but this is through my, my studies, my understanding, but 25% of the people don't care about rules and regulations. They do what they want, as they want, when they want. They don't care about paying. They don't care if there's a rule or a regulation. They just do as they want. And then, so if you didn't have enforcement, of course, then these people would, would wreck the true purpose of supplying parking for local businesses that rely on uh, maybe six stalls in front of their business and and or parking lots where people don't pay and the cost of maintaining them. There's a whole bunch of reasons behind time limits and enforcement. The license, the thing you talk about, the license, LPR is what they call it, the license plate recognition, which is the term in the industry. It's been around for 20 years, but it hasn't hasn't been perfected, and there's a lot of issues with it. The major issues in Canada are snow and dirt on license plates. When they go to read a plate, you can imagine in in sunny Phoenix, uh, where there's no snow and no slush and no dirt, your plate is legible most of the time. It would work better than, say, in, in midwinter in Edmonton. Mm-hmm. But they've also per, uh, perfected the technology. They, before, it didn't always read the right number. So a six might be deemed a G or, or something along those lines. And so then people would get tickets and have to fight City Hall saying that that's not my license plate. You sent me a ticket. These problems are being ironed out where LPR becomes more productive. To the tune of 500 times the number of cars you can do by having a person walking the street versus a truck driving around. So even if you lose 25% or you make 25% errors, or you know, when you give people back their money because you feel maybe they were treated unfairly, you still make way more money. So what does that tell you? People are not paying for their parking and they're illegally parking and they're going to get caught. And it comes down to whether or not you want to follow the rules. I heard earlier, guys, I just pulled over to text. Okay, when you pulled over to this, I'd say no stopping. Just say no parking, no stopping. So if you say, well, I had to text, and I chose to pull over where it said no stopping or no parking. Hmm. Now, I know that sounds a little bit harsh, but why don't you just go up the block where it says you can pull over, go to a loading zone for five minutes, and then do your text, or wait till you're clear of that area. 
But then they argue, well, I only pulled over for two minutes. How is the city supposed to know you were there for two minutes? The truck drives by. It doesn't take you the first time. It registers information. It goes by again probably three to seven minutes later. It drives in a pattern. And if you're still there, then you're over and you haven't paid. You know, they're not just doing it the first pass when they go by your car. Right? Interesting. So it's not designed to hurt people. It really isn't. I've been in the parking industry for one year now, so I don't really have tons of experience, but I'm on a, you know, I've been on a steep learning curve. Most people just don't want to pay. So they, they, they'll they take a chance. Anything. They're taking a chance. In the university areas, it's kind of funny because the amount of tickets you'll get in private parking are, you know, 70 to to $100 tickets. In the university, because they're students, they don't ticket them that heavily. The regional guys for, I won't mention any college names, but I know their rates. They might ticket, say, $20 for a hmm. ticket for not paying your $5 parking fee. So students go, well, monthly parking might be $200 a month, and they're on a limited budget. They go, that's 10 tickets I can get before I have to pay the $200 to park the gym. <laughs> so they play a, a roulette game where they go, if I get five tickets and pay them, it's still half price on what I pay to park legally. Huh. But if you park in the city and you get a $100 ticket, and it was only $15 for your parking for that day, then you're really playing Russian roulette. You're playing a game where... You know, and if you if you have more than a certain number of tickets in the city of Edmonton, they'll just keep ticketing you, but you won't be able to renew your license. So when you go to get your driver's license, if you have outstanding fines with the city of Edmonton, then you have to pay those fines before you can get your license back. On private parking, there's no such rule. So a lot of people say, well, it's private parking. It's not run by the city of Edmonton. It's run by a private parking company like the one I work for. So they turn out and say, I'm not going to pay it. I refuse to pay it. But what, what we do in the private industry is we say, okay, we'll give you a couple of chances to pay those tickets. If you don't, we're going to tow you. So now you've got a 200 and some odd dollar tow. <laughs> get your car back. <laughs> right? And this is all based on laws. It's a law 5590 on the books of the city of Edmonton. And it's private parking bylaw, et cetera. And anybody can read it on the, on the website as to what the rules and regulations are. But it, I just think it's compliance. And what we have to do is everybody has to... You know what? It's it's actually a great point. And mm-hmm. as you were telling your story, I thought about the time I had to pick up a check from a business, and I zipped up in front of the business, ran in, grabbed the check, came out, and had a three hundred and some dollar ticket for a fire lane. Wow! Right, but the thing is, and I was—you can imagine—I was upset, <laughs> but it's a fire lane. Yeah. Right? I took the chance. Like you said, I took the chance that nobody was going to come along in those 60 seconds. Handicap is the worst one, and, and, and people would just get understand handicap doesn't mean you have a physical limp or a bad leg or missing a leg. Or The handicap is, has a number of, of um, classifications. And, and so some people feel, oh, I saw a person get out, they walk perfectly fine, but they might have COPD or some a heart disease or something. Mm-hmm. And they, they tend to use handicap parking because they're sort of angry that there's all these handicap stalls and there doesn't seem to be enough regular stalls and they get the best spot. But handicap parking is something that is dear to me because, you know, when, when, when people are truly unable to get around as easily as others, and they've got young, healthy males and females in their 20s and they just break the rule, yeah. the fines for handicap are steep and, and very steep. And they're designed to be that way that you will never think again after you get that ticket. And unfortunately, Andrew, fire lanes are the same thing. <laughs> safety, right? But yep. it's just general parking. If people would just be compliant and understand, there's less parking spaces. Somebody mentioned earlier in your show about the width of stalls and the length of stalls. There is a, a regulation in the city of Edmonton that stalls have to be within certain parameters. Now, there is a gray. There's 
I, I didn't grow up with meters. I, I'm old enough. Uh, <laughs> I, I learned, you know, I didn't learn the metric system. But seven and a half feet to uh, 22 feet. So that's your, your that's based on a 90 degree perpendicular. The, the rules change when it's on a 45 degree, etc. But when when you see this, and that's the minimum regulation. So what happened before is there was so much extra parking in Edmonton. We had way more supply than demand, and so people made it more comfortable to draw people to their their businesses, their, their shopping stores, their center, or whatever. But now that, that the parking stalls are becoming less and less, and there's less space to put more parking in, they've narrowed it down to the minimum requirements. Now they're still within bylaws; they're still within the legal limit. But we also see the growth of people driving pickup trucks and SUVs, mm-hmm. whereas before in the 80s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Uh, saw more compact cars or mid-sized cars. You didn't see as many trucks or SUVs on the road. So the size of the cars and the limit of the space to get more people in is what's causing that. People aren't imagining it. It's true. It seems like the the stalls are getting smaller, and in some cases they are. But for the most part, go ahead. within regulation, it's just a, it's, there's a whole bunch of reasons. But I just thought I'd throw that. I don't want to take all your time, but I, I thought that might help uh, explain some of the stuff. That's going on. Great call, Rob. Yeah, Thank you so much. It. Appreciate it. You take it easy. Let's take a quick break here at 3.15. Don, Tony, your phone call's up next. More phone calls wanting to talk about parking. Hey, Tony. How you doing, guys? Good. What's going on? Well, I'm controversy what people are talking about this parking business. I've always been curious that how much money do they take in by people paying tickets and how much money is owed a year without being paid the tickets, and where does the money they get distributed to? Uh, those are three different questions. I know that we've talked to uh, councilmen before, and specifically with regard to budgeting process, and they've talked about how ticketing is one of their few sources of uh, revenue, and that it's really important to them. So I would imagine it's... Uh, and again, I'm guessing a little bit here, Tony. I believe that revenue just goes into a general stream for, uh, you know, general revenue for the city. Because if some of these parking meters, they're quite expensive. Some you have to pay with a credit card, 10 bucks an hour and things like this. Mm-hmm. And I I've never ever seen it in the newspaper breaking, broken down to say where it's going to. I've seen it before. I just don't have it in front of me. I didn't see the conversation go in there, but yeah. I've seen it before. Mm-hmm. Although, now that you mention it, I parked downtown on Friday night. 16 bucks. You know, don't you be honest. I know, you, I know you're on the radio. I'm on the radio, and then people are listening. Don't you think that's a lot of money? Uh, yeah, but it, there's, there's different parking lots. There's yeah. different places. Not all of them are 16 bucks no, an hour not. or 10 they're bucks not. an hour. I mean, the library parkade on on Saturday, it's, uh, well, it used to be a dollar for the first three hours, and it changed. Um, but I can go, you know, yeah. it's, there, you there's options. Around. But I mean, downtown's very busy this time of year, as you can imagine, right? There's a lot of functions going on downtown. I had to park near the convention center, um, but I found a spot, and it was my cheapest option. Option was sixteen dollars until midnight. I think. Well, and how I, much money know. is owed at the end of the year? How much money do they feel as if is not being paid? Don't have the answer don't, to that, don't Tony. Have the answer we didn't, to that. Yeah, that's something I'd like to know. I really would. Well, call three one one. Ask the city. Yeah, actually, they'll answer that question for no, you. No, could I trust them though? Ah, sure. Well, of course. are you going to trust on. them or trust us? Because that's who we're calling <laughs> to, Tony. I trust you with my life. Uh, <laughs> you're funny. That's With awesome. my life. <laughs> if I was in the middle of the ocean floating on a piece of wood, I'd trust you to pick me up. <laughs> oh, well, you better hang on to Andrew. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although I may be more buoyant, so there you go. <laughs> okay, guys. Thanks, Tony. Take it easy. Hi, Don. 
Uh, afternoon, guys. Uh, before I start out here, I just wanted to wish the two of you very, very Merry Christmas. You Thank as you. Well Merry done. Christmas. Uh, I have a, a question and a statement. Uh, as to the fellow that called earlier regarding parking stalls being smaller, uh, they distinctly are tighter. Uh, when I used to drive, I suffered from Parkinson's, and I also suffered from seizures, so I don't drive anymore. Uh, but I used to drive a three-quarter ton four-wheel drive, and the stalls are distinctly tighter. Hmm. Even for our, we got a van, and it's even tight for uh, for the van in, in a lot of parking lots. So I just thought I'd throw that out there. They they are tighter. Well, the the one fellow uh, who called in said, "Yeah, there there are there are minimum requirements right, requirements right. uh, for a parking stall, and he would suggest that you know to to make more parking stalls, more places are just going with the minimum requirement anymore." Hmm. Yeah, that's quite that's a yeah, I agree with that. My question is because now I'm no longer able to drive, and let me tell you, that just wrecks me. Uh, the e-system for parking and handicap placards. Now, I've called the city three different times. Uh, I've gone on their website. I mean, I stand a better chance finding Rudolph's hideout and his drinking <laughs> little location than I can get a straight answer. So I was wondering if somebody out in Ched Nation could possibly give me a straight answer. How do you deal with a placard and the e-park? Uh, the last conversation I had with uh, 311 was I was supposed to take the placard and scan it on the machine. Well, when I went there, there is absolutely no provision for scanning the placard. Why did uh, you have to scan? You, you have a placard? Yeah, yeah. Okay, why did you have to scan it? What was the issue you were having? Uh, well, I wanted to know how I dealt with, you know, parking in these areas that have these uh, e-stations. Oh, I see. Okay. Wouldn't you just put your placard in there and your? Oh no, because it's just money. You still have to pay for it. It's just having the no spot. parking in Edmonton. Handicap parking in Edmonton's free, and that's even on their website. But that's the only <clears throat> that's the only clear uh, information I can get regarding those type of uh, of stalls. That e parking is uh, a, a, you, you are allowed a two hour max uh, on your placard. But it doesn't say how you, whether, you know, leaving it in your window is still, because if they're driving by and they're just recording license plates, how do they... Wouldn't your, oh no, because your placard is registered to you, not your vehicle, right? It's it's actually registered to the vehicle. And that's interesting because my my mother-in-law's isn't, it's hers, it's Hmm. not to a vehicle. Well, it is to the person, but it's also registered to the vehicle or however many vehicles that placard will be uh, issued to because they're transferable. You can move them from vehicle to vehicle. Provided that would explain help. why so many people, not so many, we've had two or three texts specific to handicapped parking. So there's an issue there that we were not aware well, of. Well, we've talked to you. We, we, we opened that up a couple of months ago yeah, when it came to handicapped parking right. in this city and it's and it's uh, and the challenges with it. Hmm. Um, and it was specifically about the placards and who gets them, how long they are for, what happens right. if someone dies who has one of them and people continue on using them. Because remember in Toronto, there was all sorts of problems That's with right. that. Yeah. I do remember that now. Yeah. Well, um, if you have a permanent disability, it's five years. If you have what they considered a, a temporary uh, disability, it's anywhere from six months 
right. to two years. Yeah, and the challenge in Toronto, and I'm, I'm suspecting in other loca- uh, locales as well, so if you had it for five years and that person who the placard is issued to dies within those five years, a number, like family members, were continuing on using them. That's right. They were continuing on using them when they're not handicapped, but they would still use the placard to use the stalls. That's a bit tacky. Oh, a, bi- yeah, a, bit, a bit tacky, yeah. Don? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm being polite. I mean, it's Don, thanks for the phone call. I wish we had some more answers for you uh, at this point. Just uh, uh, don't have them. All I know is, you know, yesterday was I took uh, my my mom-in-law out and we needed a a handicapped parking stall and there wasn't one to be found. Really? No, there wasn't one to be found. But so. all those cars in those spots were legitimately, so. yeah. 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 Okay. So it was just, and and then I started thinking to myself, okay, do we need to have more handicap parking stalls in in uh, in in certain locations? I mean, you think if you're going to a theater or something like yeah. that, and there's only what I don't know five, is that enough? And I am just guessing at those numbers, but that was a situation huh. that we found ourselves in in yesterday. I do remember that conversation because yeah. I recall uh, the conversation then turning to spots for expectant mothers and spots for those who eat broccoli. Right? Yeah. <laughs> People who drive smart cars. And, yeah. Uh, special event parking stickers around Commonwealth next to impossible to get if you live around there. Hmm. Uh, a big problem with parking lots is that no one has no one knows how to drive, and when there are a few idiots park crooked over the line, it screws up all the other spots, and we end up short on spots. You know what? That's what I was going to say, and then I didn't want to get into one of these hmm. rants. But that was the problem at Southgate. There was. Lots of parking spots available had the individuals who parked actually yeah. put their car between the yellow lines. And the tricky thing is, and I was at Southgate the other day, and the exact same thing happened to me. I'm trying to get into a parking spot, but everyone else is crooked, so I I go in exactly. on, a, on a crooked, you know, over the yellow right. line. By the time I come back, I'm the jerk. Exactly. Because those people have left. Yep, absolutely. Uh, Doug from the EPS says, outstanding unpaid fines are going towards your vehicle registration for payment with new legislation. They used to go to warrant. Hmm. So I'm not sure if uh, you understand that one. So Three, it'll be added to your vehicle registration cost. Uh, 327 yeah. on the 630 Chad Afternoon News. Uh, we'll take a break here. We're going to switch gears after the 330 News. Check in with Todd. Hirsch, the uh, the big the big boss man, economist over at ATB Financial. Engaging conversation with Jalen Nye and Andrew Gross. Breaking news with Eileen Bell and sports with Morley Scott. This is the afternoon news on 630 Chad, Edmonton's breaking news and conversation station. All right, Monday at 3.30-ish, and it's time to check in with Todd Hirsch, who is the chief economist with ATB Financial with another edition of The Hoot. Oh, uh, the hoot, you missed it. I, I you missed hit it. my cue and didn't have my mic turned the on. The hoot. Okay. Hi, well, Todd. Hey, Todd. Hi, guys. That's pretty weak today. I don't wow, know that's... Do it again. Okay, sorry. We're out of time for you, Todd. <laughs> 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 they call me Mr. One Take. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Todd, uh, last week when we spoke with Rob Roach, he talked about three things to keep an eye on uh, economically for the new year. You want to talk about three things specific to gas. And before you do, let me ask you this. Do some people sort of confuse (laughs) oil and gas? Absolutely. I've run into otherwise intelligent people who didn't think there was any difference between the two. They thought it was just a different word or the same thing. 
so it, it just goes to show there's a lot of uh, misunderstanding out there around natural gas, which is kind of the forgotten hydrocarbon. Mm. You know, in the last several years, we've been so focused on oil that we tend to forget that natural gas, uh, at certain points in, in Alberta's history, probably around 15 years ago, uh, was in fact much, much more lucrative and much more valuable to the provincial coffers than in fact crude oil. So what has been going on with natural gas during this time in which oil prices have been dropping? What's been happening with gas? Well, about almost, I think, uh, probably eight or ten years ago, natural gas prices collapsed. So they used to be at, you know, around eight or ten dollars uh, for, for a little while, but now they're around two or three dollars. Oh. And they've been in that range uh, in a holding pattern between two and three for uh, several years. And because of that, there hasn't really been a big, uh, a lot of emphasis and new investment in natural gas in Alberta. It has been more focused on crude oil. And then when crude oil prices collapse, now they're both you know, kind of um, low. Oil prices having recovered a little bit, but natural gas prices really haven't. So you say there's a few things we need to watch out for or keep an eye on in 2018 and how they're going to affect uh, the energy sector. The first, pipeline capacity. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, unfortunately, the pipeline system in Alberta and the transmission of system of, of moving gas out of Alberta, it tends to bottleneck at certain pinch points. And the main transmission system is the TransCanada NG, NGTL pipeline system. That is the main exit for gas flowing out of Alberta. But because it does hit these bottlenecks and these pinch points at certain point, at certain times, it tends to back the natural gas back into Alberta, and that depresses the Alberta benchmark price. And the best metaphor, I think, to use for, for it is, you know, think of a really busy global airport like Toronto or London Heathrow is probably a better example. When something goes wrong, a weather disruption at a big airport, that's a big hub with a lot of traffic coming in and out, it backlogs everything and it infects the entire system of air traffic coming into that airport. So natural gas in Alberta, it's the same way because of the transmission system. The planned and unplanned outages of the line where it goes down at certain points, that will tend to back gas up into Alberta and we're not really expecting that to change much in 2018. Wouldn't that increase price no it well it will increase price outside of alberta because it produces a shortage of gas availability outside of alberta but it creates a glut of of gas in alberta because the gas can't get anywhere oh yeah so that totally makes sense <laughs> yeah uh, that totally makes sense because you know of course every time gas uh, prices go out any kind of uh, petroleum product prices go up people accuse the companies of uh, being in cahoots. Uh, yeah, by design, they've mm-hmm. uh, stopped the supply. That, that's interesting. The second issue, uh, uh, just that, supply. So, Yeah. Well, because of the way uh, natural gas, uh, a lot of producers operate in Alberta, it's a bit of a treadmill that they get onto. So the decline rates in some of these gas wells, you know, the, the, the gas production declines 20 or 30 or even more percent. Uh, after a very short period of time. And the only way you can replace that gas is to keep drilling for more gas. And the system is kind of set up in a way that investors want to see growth. And if you're not showing growth, that sort of counts against you and it can restrict your uh, investor appetite for for your company and that restricts your capital. So what happens is these uh, gas producers, they, they hit these decline rates on their gas wells, but to replace that, they have to keep drilling which depresses price. So there's a lot of supply coming out, even though the the 
price signals really should indicate that, in fact, we need less gas. But because of the way the system is kind of set up, uh, producers are keep, they keep drilling and keep producing more gas. That's and that an interesting. Is going to uh, depress gas prices next year too. That that's a very interesting uh, thing, and you know it reminds me of the conversation about BlackBerry. And I know this isn't your thing, and I know BlackBerry is not based in Alberta, but I would love to get your take on BlackBerry sometime, just as an economist, a microeconomist, because they have a similar situation in that they have they have a massively cash rich company. Um, mm-hmm with demand completely declining uh, expeditiously every year. But, yeah. they, but they're a great, but they can't get investors. Yeah. You know, because all, they're, they're all money is what they are. Yeah, it, and that's the, the reversal of a lot of these other companies that have a lot of uh, a product and a lot of demand, but they can't get the capital for it. <laughs> right, exactly. Mm-hmm. So I have to ask, the number one use for natural gas, I would imagine, is for heating? Well, heating and industrial use, okay. uh, electricity production, uh, depending on where you're looking in North America, like in Alberta, uh, most homes are heated with natural gas, not so much in eastern Canada, but a lot of places around the, uh, the continent are moving more towards natural gas for home heating and other industrial uses. So, so weather plays yeah, a part in So this, what then? impact would weather have then? Because the we're having unseasonably they- high temperatures here in Alberta. Yeah, and that's the third factor that is going to keep gas prices sort of where they're at. Not a lot of upside is the weather. Now, Western Canada and the western part of the United States up until it sounds like tomorrow uh, has enjoyed, a, you know, quite a warm December. Not so warm in uh, central Canada and uh, uh, sort of the U.S. Midwest where they've been having some colder weather. But even if we see dramatically colder weather this winter, the problem is there's a lot of gas in inventory. So even weather isn't going to help us out hmm. this time, just because it will be overrun with uh, that inventory, that supply that gets pulled out of inventory if, in fact, heating demand starts to rise. So the long and short of it is those three factors I talked about, the transmission, the, the supply and the increased drilling, and also the, the weather and the inventory, all of this amounts to still a pretty discouraging environment for natural gas prices in 2018. Hmm. So one of our listeners wants me to clarify a point with you. So I'm going to sort of restructure their question a little bit. But back, cycling back to when we have transmission problems and a glut uh, accumulates in Alberta. Yeah. And, I, and I had asked you, well, wouldn't that make the price rise? And you had answered that it would make the price rise in markets outside of Alberta, but it would, it would depress the price in Alberta, basically. So what they're asking is, well, wait a second, though. It's worth what it's worth, though. So if there's, if there's a, you know, if the, if the price goes up outside of Canada for that product, shouldn't whatever we're holding on to be more valuable? Well, it would be if we could move it out of the province. Yeah. And eventually, once the gas starts moving, you know, because bottlenecks are usually only temporary, and once that gas starts moving, yeah, it will start to equalize the price. But in kind of in the, in the short run, if the gas can't get to the higher price, uh, we're losing out on that. Hmm. It's the same argument for that the people wanting to build pipelines for crude oil and bitumen to the, to the uh, West Coast. Hmm. You can get higher prices for it abroad. The hmm. U.S. price is not the highest price. If we could s- stick it on a tanker ship and get it to where, uh, mm-hmm. in fact, they'll pay more for it, uh, we can get higher prices. Uh, but with natural gas, it's, 
it's yeah if it if it backs up into alberta it depresses the alberta they, what they call the eco benchmark price or the spot price um Alberta is a pretty significant supplier of natural gas into the U.S., uh, although we're not, of course, the only one. They've got a lot of shale gas in the U.S. But if there is restrictions on how much Alberta gas can get to those markets, that would probably put some upward pressure on that U.S. price. Hmm. So I guess the question we always have to ask you, Todd, is why we should give a hoot about this. Well, we should give a hoot because natural gas, uh, along with crude oil, these are these are the two sort of uh, uh, the star hydrocarbons of of the province. And like I said, we haven't been talking about natural gas mm-hmm. much in the last five or six years. But it is still a very important commodity for Alberta. Crude oil is not the only one, um, but I guess we should give a hoot because it is going to be another one of those factors that's going to keep our economy in 2018 kind of. You know, moving forward, but not not galloping forward. It's going to be, I think, a bit of a, a wet blanket on the economy next year, the natural gas. Todd, thanks for this, and uh, thanks for uh, a great year of uh, filling us all in on uh, all things that have to do with the, the economy in this province. Yes, you guys, too. Have a wonderful Christmas, and I think we're, we're talking to you next week, I think Tuesday or Wednesday, maybe? That's right. Uh, Jay won't yeah, be here, Wednesday. but I will. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. So you got one guys. more time with Andrew. Yeah. There you go. Okay. Have a good All Christmas, right. and Todd. Elaine, we'll talk to you in the new year. Awesome. Thank you. Okay. Bye bye. Uh, Jalen, what do you want? Just a moment ago, we were talking to uh, Todd Hirsch yes, at ATB Financial, and he was talking about uh, gas line transmission. And he said, "Imagine a major airport that had some kind of problem that shut it down." Well, I didn't want to interrupt Todd, but it just happened over the weekend. Oh, Atlanta! Too. Atlanta absolutely shut down for hours. Uh, power's now been restored at the uh, Hatsfield-Jackson Atlanta International Airport. Which, by the way, is the main hub for Delta Isn't Airlines. Biz- it's busiest? one of one, one of the of, busiest in the yeah. In the Chicago States? O'Hare used to be the busiest. I'm not sure which airport is the busiest now, but certainly this is a massive airport and a big one. Uh, international flights were diverted to other airports. Uh, the mayor of Atlanta. At a press conference on Sunday evening, said work uh, all airlines are working to rebook. It's flights. the busiest one in America. Is it? Yeah, yeah. I think maybe I have heard that before. Yeah, LAX is uh, second. Uh, O'Hare is third, and Dallas Fort Worth and fourth. At the end of the day, almost twenty five hundred planes arrive and depart that airport daily, and the airport averages two hundred and seventy five thousand passengers per day. That's according to the airport's website. Um, Power was knocked out by a fire, the cause of which they've not gotten to the bottom of yet. Um, But potentially there was toxic fumes, which took two hours for fire crews to put out before they could deal with anything else. And then, of course, after that, people come in to try and restore the power. Um, The kind of things that went out were what I guess you wouldn't... In hindsight, you go, yeah, of course, but you wouldn't think at the time. With power out... um, doors didn't open Mm -hmm. and you know stores couldn't sell anything and so people uh, the mayor said that as soon as it happened that they were distributing water to people that they'd made other accommodations for them to go to uh, the convention center in college park 
which can hold eight to 10,000 people. That was for anybody stranded who wasn't able to get out. They sent shuttles to send them. They got the doors open, obviously. They were um, allowing them to make a one-time change. Yeah, all the airlines are being pretty cooperative about it. You know, I'm looking at some of the pictures that were, were, were tweeted from this, and you have all these people going up the escalator, which I'm guessing they're walking up the escalator, <laughs> yeah. and there's a staff member sliding down the down middle the center, of it to, yeah. so he can get to places. But that's just, that ranks right up there with, you know, your travel horror story. Your, the, the trip that you took, mm-hmm. the trip that you took where something massively went wrong or everything went wrong. I mean, there's a difference when you, you know, you show up and your luggage is, um, you know, not on the same flight, but maybe shows up on the flight an hour later yeah. or the one that is, um, doesn't ever show up. Right. Or the difference, there's also a difference between those kind of situations and situations that are in, to some extent self-induced. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And I know that when you talk about travel mishaps, a lot of times uh, somebody will tell you about the cruise they missed and it's because the flights were delayed. And you know, if you look yeah, at, you gotta book the day ahead or two. Way, you <laughs> totally have to. You have to pick a city that you would like to see yeah. and get there a day early. Coach and I are talking about uh, where we're going to go to New Orleans at Easter, and there is one flight that gets us in three hours earlier, so at one thirty in the afternoon instead of four thirty. But it's only a fifty-two minute stop in. Denver, I think. I can't mm. remember where, where it was. And I just said to him, I said, I'm not sure 52 minutes is 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 well, worth... Well, where does your mind go to? Does it go to missing the flight or missing the luggage? Um, the luggage I can handle. Cause it, well, this, this was the next one. There's not another flight after it oh. coming in. So that was the big problem. Yeah. So if you miss a flight... What do you do? Like, I'm not willing to take that chance for two hours extra in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. I'll get in at 4 o'clock. I'll do my regular <laughs> thing. And, and usually the, the luggage doesn't show up the first time. It shows up the next time. But I, 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 we, actually, we, we sat down and debated it, whether or not it was worth it for two extra hours. Really? Do you find I'm in like, booking... I think this is, a, this is a no-brainer. Oh, no, for sure. Do you find in booking American flights in general, using any airline that's based out of the United States, that... It's just a slightly different experience than booking with Air Canada or WestJet, and that it just always seems a little sketchy. Either they change the departure time, or they reroute the flight, or there's an issue that you had never had before. Mm -hmm. And I told you last time, but very quickly, we had a family trip, well, that New Orleans trip in the summer, where suddenly we're not flying through LA, we're now flying through Houston or somewhere, and when I phoned the airline, an American airline, an American, not the American Airlines, and said, why was that changed? And they said, oh, you had less than an hour to switch flights yeah. in L.A., so we've put you through Houston, I think it was. And I said, okay, with less than half an hour. <laughs> and she was like, yeah, I know, it's funny. Eh? And, it just, and you think <laughs> about time, every just time, that, right? Every time we fly through Houston, the luggage never arrives exactly. in New Orleans. Every time. We had to, somebody should have timed us because I'm pretty sure we set a ground speed record for getting two different terminals, yeah. by the oh, yeah. way, because we're flying in international and we're going out domestic. <sighs> we made it. First world problems, eh? I know. And oddly, you know whose bags were first off the plane in New Orleans? Ours. Come on. They must have been the last Last one's on. The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad.